Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, did you have a good weekend? Had a great weekend. Got some more things done. Nursery's almost done. I was able to watch some basketball in the background, watch some good golf this weekend, another baby shower. We are now officially past baby shower season. So, yeah, everything's good. It has been baby shower season. I feel like every time we've We've been texting to schedule a pod. He's like, I got a baby shower. I got a baby shower. I got a baby shower. So it's uh, tis the season, I guess. Well, it's, so three Sundays ago was a baby shower here at the house. And then two Sundays ago, my sister had a gender reveal. So it was another baby day. And then yesterday we had a baby shower at my hometown church down in Chickasha that they threw for us, which was great. So uh, baby shower season has come and gone. And now we're, we're looking forward. Nice. Well, that's an exciting time, no doubt. We got the Masters coming up soon, too. It's also very exciting. But uh, before we get into all everything Oklahoma State, who have just flat out dominated Bedlam this year, I want to get Colby's thoughts on that. But first, let's hear from Chris University Spirit, your one stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. So, Colby, uh, we got a lot to get to. We hadn't spoken since Oklahoma State beat Kansas State in uh, basketball at home. I, uh, I missed a lot of the game, but I did tune into the radio and heard uh, the great call from from the great D- Dave Hunziker as Avery Anderson drills a three in overtime to seal the win for Oklahoma State. A, a win that really hurts Kansas State's tournament chances, but obviously a feel-good win anytime Oklahoma State can, can get one done in Big 12 play. Yeah, it's about brutal loss for K-State. They needed that game because they were listed. I think Lenardi had them as the first four out coming in to that game on Saturday. I haven't looked to see where that dropped them to. But it was a really frustrating game from Oklahoma State's perspective because Oklahoma State was 41% from three, really good for the Cowboys. Oklahoma State, you know, rebounding battle was within one. Oklahoma State had uh, more assists in that game. But Kansas State just was jacking up threes like crazy, 13 of 32. So Oklahoma State ends up shooting 16 percentage points higher from the floor in the game than Kansas State does. It's free throws. Oklahoma State had a little bit of an advantage. There were a couple of calls late that went Kansas State's way. The the one that they reviewed at the end of regulation, couldn't tell if it was off Bryce Williams' fingertip on the way out because you didn't have enough good – Good enough of a camera angle. I think by the rotation of the ball, it was off the Kansas State guy, but they said they couldn't determine it. And then in overtime, I mean, when they fouled the guy on the floor up by three and the, the officials gave him three free throws, that was just a disaster. It's it's the ones that they review and get wrong that upset me more so than the stuff that happens just in, in super real time. Uh, I also thought the, the block charge call on Rondell was pretty tough there at the end of the game. But, yeah, it was frustrating. I mean, you'd get ahead by five. K-State would make a three. You, you'd stretch that lead back out to six. And then Noel would come down and hit a three. Or Pack would come down and hit a three. McGurl had four threes on Saturday for Kansas State. They were just doing just enough to keep themselves in the game. And, you know, Oklahoma State kept trying to extend the lead, and it just would never happen. And finally, Oklahoma State gets it done with a 16-point 
output in overtime. Avery Anderson was awesome. Bryce Thompson was awesome. Those guys combined to go 6 of 14 from beyond the arc. Adding a couple from Newton, who has not seen many minutes, but got uh, 20, pardon me, 14 minutes on Saturday. It was just a good performance from Oklahoma State, but Carson, the catalyst, were Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson, who had big days offensively. Yeah, Woody Newton was on the team. Where, where has he been? Uh, he's been so far off the grid, Carson, that he wasn't even a candidate for the milk carton because he hasn't been getting minutes. No, he hasn't. I mean, uh, he's he's only played more than – he's only played double-digit minutes once, twice before that game against Kansas State on Saturday. And I kind of liked what I saw when they got him via transfer. He's 6'8", 200 pounds. He kind of fits that – just, that, again, another long athletic dude that – Boynton can just throw in waves at people. And, uh, yeah, I thought he played really well. I was kind of – the more I watched him, I was like, why, why hasn't this guy been getting minutes when OSU's been struggling? But, no, he he was certainly kind of a jolt of energy for the lineup. But back back to your original point, I mean, it, that's a glimpse of why I was so high on this team is, is Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson together. When they both get it cooking, I mean – that's that's some firepower on a team that we've been just searching for for buckets all season. They, you know, they combined to score 43, which you mentioned. And just the fact that they're able to hit some threes, Colby, and get some spacing for this team just changes the entire outlook of, of their offense. And and again, I'll, I'll just keep saying it. I mean, that's the Avery Anderson that we need we should expect and, and hope to see the rest of the year. He he was big time and obviously hitting the, the game winning shot doesn't doesn't hurt his cause, but Colby, I was watching the highlight of the, the three he hit. That move he does to go back between his legs, he's, he's dribbling to his right, and he kind of does like not a through the legs, the traditional sense, but kind of back through his backside through his legs. He, the, the quickness in which he does it and the amount of space he was able to generate with that move was really, really impressive, and I think will we'll impress the NBA scouts when the time comes. Just his, his ability to create and, and, get, and create space for himself, that was – that was very NBA-like on that shot. Yeah, no doubt. That's a big-time move. I was even one of my buddies who's not a big basketball guy. I was hanging out with him Saturday night. I'm like, did you see how the OSU game ended today? And I pulled up on Twitter and showed him. He's like, wow, that's a big-time move from Avery Anderson, crossing him up like that and getting that look, and then to knock it down in that moment because it just it would have been so deflating to lose that game. Home crowd, everybody's into it. It's, it's not the biggest game in the world, but every game for this team just feels like it means something because we know – how it's going to end. We know that it's ending soon. Carson, Oklahoma State plays Baylor tonight, OU on Saturday. Two more games next week against Iowa State and Texas Tech, and this thing's over. And this group of guys are, are done, and that's it. And that's that's just – it's tough, man. It's still so sad that it's, it's going to come down the way it is with what the NCAA did. But that's, I think, why – uh, these wins mean so much to Oklahoma State fans. Obviously, the four-game losing streak there, Texas, Iowa State, Florida, and Kansas State, that was kind of a rough patch for the Cowboys, but three of five cents. They've been alternating wins and losses. You beat Oklahoma, lose to TCU. Beat West Virginia, lose to Kansas. Beat Kansas State, now you host Baylor tonight. So if this trend continues, it would be a loss tonight and a win Saturday uh, against Oklahoma and Bedlam. And honestly, Carson, I think there's a bunch of us to Oklahoma State fans who might sign on the dotted line for that. Oh, I think... I was just sorry. I was just reading a quote from from maybe Anderson about what you're talking about. He says we're trying to win these last five games that we have. Whenever it's time to win, we got to know that we only have four games now. We got to empty the tank and and do whatever we got to do to win. So sorry, I was reading. What was your last point? Oh, I was just saying, if, if the trend continues about alternating wins and losses, the last five games have been win loss, win loss, win loss. 
If that were to happen again, that would mean a loss tonight to Baylor and then a win Saturday against Oklahoma. And I was just saying, I think a lot of OSU fans would sign up for that if they could. Uh, well, yeah, that's, I think, which is funny because Baylor would be obviously a much bigger win, but Bedlam is Bedlam. <laughs> that doesn't go away regardless of the record. So I think you're, I think you're right about that, that trade. Uh, an interesting stat here from Cody Nagel on Isaac Likely. Oklahoma State is three and eight this season when Isaac Likely scores at least seven points. They're 10 and five in games he scores less than seven points, which Colby, you and I were talking before we came on the air. That That's not all that surprising because Isaac Likely is not exactly known for his offense. And if he's scoring, you know, close to double digit points, that means not many else, not many not many other people are getting the ball to go through the hoop, but what he does do Colby is he guards really well. And Mike Boynton had a lot of praise for him after the game. Um, he, you know, he's always said that he could guard one through five and, and Boynton kind of reiterated that he said he can guard, I would say 90% of anybody's roster in the country. There's some guys like Kofi Cockburn, who's seven feet tall or Purdue's Zach Eddy, who's seven, four. He said, other than that, he can guard anybody's point guard through center, and I'll feel good. I feel good he'll be in a position to make it a toss-up at worst. So likely we we've talked for four or five years now about his offensive struggles, but he can play some defense now. And I thought he was really good on Saturday as well. Yeah, he was. He brings an element of physicality and leadership that this team really needs because this team has a lot of guys who haven't quite figured themselves out yet, and he is a good leader for this team and his defensive mentality. It's why this is pretty much by every metric available, one of the top 20 defensive teams in the country, a team that, again, has no chance to make the tournament. They might not make it anyway, 13 and 13, 6 and 8 in conference, but you never know how the season closes. You never know what would have gone differently uh, for this season had they had those those team goals to look forward to. So you don't know how much that impacts it. But yeah, if Isaac Likely is having to score a bunch of points, then that means other guys probably aren't having a really good day. Because if Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson, who are your offensive weapons, if those guys are lighting it up, Ice just isn't going to take that many shots because Ice is a veteran. He knows how to play the game of basketball. He knows, okay, if Avery and Bryce are getting after it, I'm going to defer to those guys. And then if they're not, he goes out and tries to do what he can for the team. And, you know, I respect the way he plays because, yes, his game has some weaknesses on the offensive end. The jump shot isn't really there. But he uses his skill set to – how do I want to word this? He uses his skill set the best way he can to get as most out of it as possible. And that doesn't mean scoring 20 points and putting the team on his back. That means playing hard-nosed defense. When the team needs you to score, do it. But most of the time, you're a guy who defers. Uh, and I thought what was really interesting from that stat, Oklahoma State's 3-8 and eight when Oklahoma State scores at least 7 points, 10-5 and five when he scores less than 7. I mean, that means that there's been about a third more games where he scored less than 7 because he's recognized Oklahoma State doesn't need him to do it on the offensive end that day. Uh, and I think that that's just good leadership from Isaac Likely. And I'm, I'm really curious to see whether he comes back for another year, Carson. Some guys want the extra year to play. Some guys don't want to be in college their entire lives. So that's kind of a coin flip on ice, I think. Yeah, and I think people always say, well, if you're not going to be drafted in the first round, you should come back. Well, that's clearly the case for Isaac. But I, I've always pushed back on that. Like, people don't realize that you can go to Europe and get paid six figures for a long time and make a very good living playing basketball. I don't know if that's in Likely's future or not, but people just assume if you're not drafted in the NBA in the first round, you, that, that's it. You got to go get a regular job or you might as well just come back and play college basketball. Some guys are ready to just go. And I think 
we all kind of get to that point at some point in college. I was a fifth year. I did not, I wanted no part of, of extending my college career. Of course I was a fifth year. So maybe I was more tired than most uh, regular seniors. But I guess my point is that you're right. Some guys are just done and he, he might be, we'll have to wait and see, but you mentioned he gets, he gets the most out of his game. He reminds me so much of Patrick Beverly. Uh, he's bigger than Beverly, you know, likely six, five, but both were offensively challenged. Beverly's gotten pretty decent shooting threes in the NBA now that he's a, a long-term veteran, but just kind of tenacious defensive minded point guards. Um, I wonder now, I don't know if like he's going to play in the NBA or not, but I wonder if he could kind of carve out a similar type career path that Beverly, Beverly bounced all over the world playing basketball. He was playing and I think he might have gone to China at one point. Um, so that's, that's kind of who he reminds me of. I don't know if you like that comparison or not. Uh, to an extent I do. I don't know. Patrick Beverly has been a grinder for a long time and he's carved out a niche for himself and he's made a bunch of money and good on him for, for doing what he has to do to make a bunch of money. But I don't know. I feel like Patrick Beverly does what he does because he's just a super mega try hard. Like he's just the guy at the Y that everybody's annoyed by, you know, you go up to the gym for a pickup game and there's this one guy that just won't quit. And he's so annoying. That's like Patrick Beverly at the, at the grandest scale. And I think Isaac Likely's just, he's a bigger body. He's physical. So I think from the standpoint of you need a guy to go out and be physical, I, I do like the comparison, but I do think that Isaac likely is, I don't know. I don't want to go the old Russell Westbrook quote where Patrick Beverly's just running around tricking y'all, but I don't know. I just something about him, something about him. I, I don't see it there. Maybe it's just because I don't like Patrick Beverly and I like Isaac likely. Can it just be that simple? I think that has to be a little part of it. Um, but to, what's interesting about likely, <laughs> I mean, he was on the under 19 men's basketball team with Cade Cunningham. It's like, we just forget that. I mean, he was one of the, he was honorable mention, big, all big 12. He was on the all big 12 tournament team. Like he's had a really good career and has been a really good player. His offensive game has seemingly regressed as he's gotten to this point in his career, but it's almost like we forget that he was teammates with Cade Cunningham on team USA. That's, that's kind of the, the company he was keeping. So yeah. So Be Beverly might be a little bit of a slight, honestly, in, in terms of, of what you were saying, but I don't know. That's just a thought I had. Yeah, could be. I don't hate it. I just, I think it's tough to draw a comparison for Isaac likely. He's pretty unique in what he does. Yep. He is. Uh, Oklahoma state hosts Baylor tonight, eight o'clock, big Monday. Who are we uh, gracing with the, uh, the pleasure of being on the milk card? Cause it is a pleasure. It's a, it's like a, it's like an odds boost, you know, who, who, we, uh, who, whose odds are we boosting with the uh, milk carton tonight? Uh, Carson, I have a question because again, I was putting the nursery together. I had the game on in the background. Do, was there a reason that Keelan Boone didn't play Saturday? Did, do you know, did they talk about it on the radio? Did, yeah. Do, Mike, did, Mike Boyden just said that, um, let me pull the quote up here. He says, uh, Boyden said that Newton was quote, just more ready than Keelan Boone. So, Huh. Read read into that what you will. Either he was more ready to play, or maybe Keelan Boone picked up an injury of some sort in practice. Be my guess. Interesting. It says Cody Nagel again. Says Boone was on the bench today against Kansas State, but did not play. Mike Boynton. Yeah, Woody Newton was just more ready. That's uh, that's odd. I don't I don't know how I feel about throwing a guy on the milk carton that flat out might not play tonight. That's uh, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I was going to pretty. Keep... That's a pretty like there's there's levels to this game, right? That that's a that's a really big like call your shot, you know. Yeah, yeah, that would be way off the beaten path to throw him out there. Uh, so I'm just going to throw it to another guy that we're we're still kind of waiting to see his uh, patented play. Show me Bryce Williams. 24 minutes on Saturday. 24 commit minutes turned into three points. Now he did have eight assists, so he did a lot of creating offensively. But I think to beat Baylor twice in one season, you're going to need all your scorers to come and be ready to score. So hopefully Bryce Williams does that tonight and gets back on track. So he's my guy. Hopefully we can get one of those patented uh, 16 points, five rebounds, five assists kind of games from Bryce Williams. I like that call. That's a good one. Uh, certainly better odds, I think, than Keelan because kind of the end of the bench kind of, ebbs and flows game to game. So I think that's a much safer, better pick. So I'm with you there. Uh, speaking, I, I brought up Bedlam earlier. Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma in wrestling, Bedlam wrestling, 18 to 16 on Sunday in Stillwater. They swept the Sooners. And um, Colby, it was, a, it was a wonderful opportunity for you to rile up the uh, OU fans again. I noticed that on Twitter over the weekend. I mean, Carson, I just... All I said was another bedlam, another dub for Oklahoma State. It feels like abuse at this point. It does. I mean, it's got to be tough to be an OU fan right now. I can't actually think of a tougher time in recent memory to be an OU fan. They're just getting beaten like a drum. I mean, even an Oklahoma State wrestling team that is reeling as bad as it's, it's reeled in the last decade. I mean, come on. Come on, it's Bedlam. It's Oklahoma State. It's another win, 11-3 to on the Bedlam series this year. I'm just asking for a little competition so that this thing doesn't get too one-sided because at some point, I mean, you just beat them all the time. It's the old hammer and the nail thing, right, Carson? That's what we've heard forever. It's the hammer and the nail, and right now Oklahoma State is the hammer. Yeah, and you won't ever hear the all t- the. You won't ever hear the Bedlam record from Oklahoma when they include anything besides football. And they don't even have that to go on anymore. A uh, friend of the show, Adam Lunt, tweeted this out. I thought it was really good. OSU dominated OU in the Bedlam series last year, 23-12. to 12, Off to a dominant start this year at 11-3. to 3, uh, Have won seven of eight in the series. And no football argument to fall back on this year. Pretty damn impressive by entire athletic department considering they're operating on a limited budget. Which for me, that's, that's huge. And again, you can't praise... Chad Weiberg, the higher-ups there at Oklahoma State, enough for making OSU, OSU's competitive in every sport on a very limited budget compared to their contemporaries, especially compared to Oklahoma. And, you know, Oklahoma's done a better job lately with some of their minor sports. Like, I think hiring Ryan Hibble at golf has made them you know, the number one team in the country. They made them competitive with Oklahoma State in golf, which didn't seem possible for really since the beginning of time. But I just think it's, it's further proof that Oklahoma State is a legit athletic department, which they were not in the early days. They were, they were barely an athletic department. They just, there was no funding. They weren't trying to win at football. Just, it's just another nail, nail to the point of how competitive and how, how good the times are right now for Oklahoma State as an athletic department as a whole. Obviously, winning football in Bedlam makes that, that record even you know, more boastful. But uh, just, again, Colby, just couldn't be more impressed with the, the entire uh, landscape of OSU top to bottom. Yeah, you almost had me ready to nerd out on college golf there for a second. But I think we're still a, a month or two away from being able to fully nerd out about some college golf. But, yeah, the athletic department is as healthy as it's been, I don't know, in a long, long time. I mean, 
basketball's a little bit down, but basketball's not a lot down. I mean, this was a four seed in the tournament a year ago. Granted, you have Cade, you lose Cade, the NCAA comes in. We'll see where the program is at whenever it stabilizes a little bit after this NCAA stuff, but baseball's way up, softball's way up, golf's way up, uh, wrestling, you know, wrestling is wrestling. The Ferrari stuff happens, they fall off a little bit, wrestling's going to be fine, football's way up. It's just one thing after another. Women's soccer in the fall, Big 12 champs uh, again, I believe. So, I know they were two years ago. I can't remember if they backed it up this year. So, uh, equestrian. The whole athletic department, Carson. Women's golf. Women's golf's number two ranked team in the country. Baseball's rolling. Yeah, it's across the board. It is across the board. It's unbelievable. Yep. And uh, so, back to Bedlam Wrestling. I mean, I got to hand it to people, um, Colby. Just nearly 8,000 in attendance for Bedlam Wrestling. And, again, this is as, uh, you know, Seth Seth Duckworth, who does an unbelievable job covering wrestling for Pistols Firing, wrote a – a five thoughts piece. People should check it out. And one of his points was just the atmosphere, how great the atmosphere was, especially considering this is everyone knows this is kind of a down year for OSU wrestling. They're not going to win the NCAA title. You mentioned it, AJ Ferrari, John Smith announced is out for the year. He's going to have surgery, but he will hopefully be back fully healthy next year. But this is kind of a lost year for wrestling. It'd be a very easy to just not show up for Bedlam. Just assuming, ah, well, it's Bedlam. We'll, we'll probably win. Why, why do I need to go if we're not going to win the national title or, or beat up on them too bad, you know? So I, I thought the, the atmosphere was, was really incredible. Yeah, it was. Oklahoma State is still one of the best wrestling fan bases in the country, and they packed that place out pretty good, and the, the videos that were tweeted out were very well crafted where they showed the lower bowl, which was, I mean, just about packed. Uh, and it was a great atmosphere for college wrestling. I, I wasn't the biggest wrestling fan when I was in college, but anytime there was a big duel, ranked teams, or Bedlam was in town, I would go to the wrestling matches as a student, and that place was electric, man. So uh, wrestling's a lot of fun, and I would tell people, if you haven't been to a wrestling match, I recommend it. I think you'll be surprised how much fun you have, even if you don't totally understand the sport, because I I understand wrestling at a very base level, certainly not at an in-depth level, uh, and I had a blast at every wrestling duel I went to whenever I was in college. Yeah, and if you don't know much about it, the crowd will kind of tell you what's going on. That's that's one of my favorite things about about wrestling is you kind of get an education when you go. And I, again, I've followed it for a long time, so I know what's going on. But I've been with people who didn't, and they can kind of tell like, oh, this is good because the crowd's like, you know, they they know the guy's about to get a takedown, and he has the guy in a position perhaps where he can get a pin. So that that's always fun. But um, Oklahoma State does win. Uh, no handshake this time around because we all remember AJ Ferrari getting into it with uh, that Oklahoma Sooner and putting him on his back. So I think wisely, Colby, both coaches uh, shook hands and that was it. They didn't want any uh, any more fisticuffs between the two teams. Yeah, absolutely. That's smart. Uh, things got a little heated earlier in the year. And I mean, we saw a brawl this, this weekend in uh, Michigan, Madison. Well, I don't know where the game was, but Michigan and Wisconsin got after it pretty good. Sometimes tensions get a little high, and it's better to just avoid those things. So I didn't have a problem with that at all. Yeah, that's that's my that might be my BB coming up. But um, so yeah, big win for OSU wrestling. Did you see the uh, college football playoff will not be expanding by any chance over the weekend? <sighs> yeah, I did. Uh, we continue to express. Does it bother you, <laughs> Carson? I'm just. It's so annoying that the people making these decisions. They just don't seem to have the best interest of college football at heart. I mean, this four-team playoff is, quite frankly, Carson, it's a joke. 
I, I think the four-team playoff is a joke. I think you either expand or you go back to two because the semifinal games are a disaster. If you expand, then you'll get better first-round games because you'll get a six versus a seven. You'll get a five versus an eight. You'll get better things in the first round if you expand. Or let's just go back to two because we can't find a third to get in there and, and do big things anyway. I don't know. Look, there are a lot of people in high positions making these decisions who I just don't feel like look at the big picture of college football, look at parity in the sport, look at more teams having things to play for throughout the season. Once they've lost a game, Carson, here's the list of teams who can lose a game and still get into the college football playoff. It's pretty much OU, Ohio state, Clemson, Alabama, and Georgia, maybe an LSU or somebody in an off year can sneak in there when they've lost a game for the Oklahoma States of the world, I mean, even this year when a bunch of things were going to break perfect, Oklahoma State loses one game, and we still don't know if they're getting in. It would have been a 50-50 coin flip between them and Cincinnati as much as we want to say that the committee would have put Oklahoma State in. It, it just – you lose one game, and it's like, well, all right, there goes there goes our playoff chances. Expand this thing to 12. Expand this thing to 16. I just – I don't know. I, I don't like four. I hate four, and I hate that those in power keep contradicting themselves, you know, conferences vote against it one year for it a different year i i just don't know what to make of it but i'm just disgusted that we're still just basically saying it's broken but we're not going to fix it yeah it's a total mess i mean that's before you haven't even discussed the fact that none of the bowl games even matter at this point you got guys opting out of every single bowl game no one watches i don't know why they put the playoff games on new year's eve it's killed their ratings for the the semifinals um I'm totally with you. And you know what, Colby? We can actually blame Oklahoma and Texas yet again for something because it's pretty much understood. They came to an agreement that they were going to do a 12-team playoff. Well, then what happened? Over the summer, word leaked out that Oklahoma and Texas were going to the SEC. Well, that that just threw this entire thing into total disarray because now every conference is just looking out for themselves instead of the, the betterment of the sport. So it's just it's not going to be expanded until the new TV deals come up and even when that occurs, that's that's when I always assumed they would expand. Even when that occurs, though, I mean, is there any chance that the SEC is going to do what the Pac-12 wants? <laughs> I don't think so. Is there any chance the Big Ten and SEC are going to do what like, the Big 12 wants to do? I doubt it. It's pretty much going to be the SEC and ESPN telling everyone else what they want to do, and if they don't want to do it, it'll be status quo. So it's just – it's frustrating. I love college football. It's by far the most flawed sport that exists. So I don't know why it's my favorite sport. It just will always be. But just as another example, Colby, it's just how flawed college football is. And it's, it's getting worse, too, with the NIL stuff being a complete disaster is how I would pose it. Because when they came up with the NIL, it wasn't, it wasn't geared towards Caleb Williams investing in like, – opening a real estate firm or whatever the other nonsense he has going on in LA. It was like guys are profiting off his, his image and likeness, like with Jersey sales, like give him a cut of that, call it good. So I don't know I could go on for another hour about what's wrong with college football, but I did think that was interesting. Yeah. And it's funny. You mentioned, we all love college football, right? Because what's good about college football is great. The pageantry, the tailgating, going to the games, you know, you, you have this attachment to your alma mater. We both went to Oklahoma state and I love college football. I really do. I love it at the regional level because at the regional level with Oklahoma state and the big 12 and rivalries, all this other stuff, college football is a blast big picture. 
College football is a flawed sport with no parity, where if you're not in a club, you can't get in a club. Everything is designed to make the haves richer and the have-nots poorer, and it's just a very flawed sport. But at the regional level, with your team that you love, it's a blast, man. It is so much fun. It's You get attached to the guys. You get attached to the coaches, to all of it. And even as it changes with the NIL, I mean, people ride for their school. People ride for their team. And that's what makes college football great. It's not these 70-year-old guys sitting in a room telling us, yep, we're good at four. We're good. Everybody seems to enjoy this. Let's just keep rocking and rolling. That's not what makes college football great. So I hope people don't take my frustration and my criticism of the powers that be for not doing what I deem would be right to to better college football as a sport as me saying that I don't love college football because I do, but I love it for, I think, a lot of the same reasons that you do and a lot of our listeners probably do. It's it's Oklahoma State. It's the pageantry. It's bullet running down the middle of the field. It's trying to win your conference. It's all those things because for 95% of college football, what Alabama and Georgia and Ohio State are trying to accomplish isn't what your school is trying to accomplish. And if you accept that and, and appreciate what you have and what your team and school are grinding for, I think it just makes college football a lot more fun. Uh, and it's certainly been fun lately as an Oklahoma State fan. It certainly has. It, uh, I, I agree with everything you're saying there. Um, speaking of fun, OSU should be really good next year in 2022. And Kyle Boone wrote an article about the uh, – five hardest Cowboys to replace and who might step up next year. That was an interesting list by, by Kyle. And number one, I think you and I probably could have guessed is Malcolm Rodriguez. Colby, I didn't realize he had 129 tackles, four for forced fumbles and two fumble recoveries, all team highs. <laughs> we knew Malcolm was good, but like, I didn't realize he had that many tackles and, and turnovers forced. He's, he was ridiculous. He was ridiculous. And, and that's why I say that this defense is still going to be really good. But I also caution people to have a little bit of cautious optimism. You know, defense is still going to be good. But let's also not downplay just how good not only Malcolm was, but also Devin Harper in the middle of that defense. Those guys were different. And those guys don't just get replaced. I'm sure whoever comes in next is going to be really good. But Malcolm and Devin aren't walking back through that door. And those guys were elite. They were, and uh, Cameron Farrar was the backup for Malcolm. But I, I really liked this Xavier Benson, who he mentions. Uh, he mentions Cameron Farrar and, and Xavier Benson as uh, potential replacements. Um, Benson, I, I really like him. I think he might be a guy that can just step in right away and, and play. But those are kind of the two, two guys they're they're envisioning or that Kyle's envisioning to to replace Malcolm. Yeah, I mean those guys could both uh, could both pop. We've seen good things, good recruits, but again, it's it's a let's wait and see situation because you're replacing big time guys. Uh, and I hope that the pressure of that, Carson, there's a mental side to sports that we don't talk about a lot. I think just the pressure of replacing Malcolm and Devin Harper matters. And hopefully you've got guys that are built for that because there's going to be a portion of the fan base who, if linebacker play dips at all, there's going to be these unrealistic expectations that it's just next man up, just go out there and be Malcolm Rodriguez. And I hope that there's not too many fans who expect uh, the, the new guys to just go out and be Malcolm Rodriguez, but we'll, we'll see how it plays out in the fall. Number two, I would probably put it number one, and that's Jalen Warren. Um, I think, look, I'm not saying Malcolm Rodriguez is easy to replace. I just think it's harder to replace Warren than Malcolm. I really do. Because we saw just 
the difference in the offense with Jalen Warren in there. And so he, Kyle Boone has Jalen Warren number two uh, candidates to replace, Dominic Richardson and Ollie Gordon. And I, I like Richardson a lot. I thought he deserved more carries than he's, he, he had last year. Uh, I'm very, very, very bullish on Ollie Gordon. I have, I have many hot takes in the chamber for, for what I think he's going to do next year as a true freshman. But um, make no mistake, Colby, replacing Jalen is going to be not an impossible task, but a, a, a massive, massive endeavor for Mike Gundy. Yeah, it definitely is. And I think it's of note, Carson, that uh, Ollie Gordon it will be enrolling early and will be participating in spring practice and doing all of those things. And you've talked about him. You've got the, the take chamber ready to roll. A lot of people are really high on this kid coming in, thinking that he could produce at a high level as a true freshman, which isn't something that we see a ton of, but we started to see more of it. We started to see more of it on the defensive side of the ball, I think, whenever you look at Trace Ford, Colin Oliver, obviously what those guys did as true freshmen. But, I mean, maybe even at a skill position like running back, Get a guy in there as a true freshman, and, and if he's the guy, he's the guy because that job's very much up for grabs, Carson. There, there isn't anybody else who has fully established themselves as, yes, I'm the guy. So that'll be something very interesting to watch. Yep, I, I agree with that. It'll be a – I think they'll do a committee approach. and Whoever gets the hot hand like Jalen Warren did last year, I think that's probably what's going to end up being the, the top of the depth chart. Uh, number three, Tay Martin. Uh, replacement candidates a lot is what Kyle wrote, which I love. Uh, Jaden Bray is kind of who he focuses on, though, to replace Tay Martin. I think that's a natural uh, guy to pick because he he kind of popped as a true freshman. And Talon, uh, Talon Shetron also was mentioned as well. And as, as he was kind of talking about Jaden Bray, he mentioned he has uh, Justin Blackman vibes. I just started randomly thinking about Justin Blackman. And did you know who I would actually, if someone were to ask me who is Justin Blackman as a college football player, this is going to shock you. And it's not going to make our, our uh, OU. It's not going to make the Bedlam talk any better, but I, I think Justin reminds me a lot of Adrian Peterson. <laughs> and I looked up their, their height and weights were identical. Six, one, two, ten. When Justin Blackman caught a football, he turned into Adrian freaking Peterson. You couldn't tackle the guy. He was bigger, faster, and stronger than you were. And I, I guess I had never really thought of that. But, like, if I had to compare Justin Blackman to anybody, it'd probably be Adrian Peterson versus, you know, Larry Fitzgerald or some receiver or somebody. That's so good. I love that. By the way, this is way off topic. Did you hear the story that Ed Orgeron told about recruiting Adrian Peterson? Yes, he tried to get Adrian's dad moved to a prison in California or something. Yes, and the best thing I saw, I mean, AD said, look, if I go to OU, my dad can watch me where he's at. And Ed Orgeron said he tried to get Adrian Peterson's dad transferred to a different facility in California so that AD could come to USC, but that he couldn't get it done. And the best part of the story is somebody put this on Twitter. I wish I could give credit. It was weeks ago. Um, they said, imagine trying to explain to someone how in college football you would be unallowed to buy a kid a muffin at a gas station but it would be perfectly within the rules of college football to get a man transferred from one prison to another in a recruiting scheme and i'm like oh that is a perfect a perfect just overview of college football in the mid-2000s oh my god that is insane and i did not put that past ed orgeron at all <laughs> uh last no, two ed, guys ed o marches to the beat of his own drum for sure yeah, oh man, he's he's a different breed of cat, that's for sure. Last two guys, you could probably guess Devin Harper, who you mentioned, and, and Colby Harvell Peel. 
big host of names. I'm not sure if anyone pops to you on that. I, I'm really intrigued by Kendall Daniels potentially replacing Colby Harvell Peel. We all know he was a big time, big time recruit. He looks the part. Uh, that's the guy that kind of sticks out to me that I, I'm excited to see uh, come springtime, spring football. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there really are some intriguing guys who could come in as potential backups. Obviously, we talk about a lot of guys in the offseason. Some pan out, some don't. But this is a year just because Oklahoma State is replacing so many big names. I think we're going to be watching with a little more of a microscope some of the – we already talked about Xavier Benson, Mason Cobb, Lamont Bishop, uh, some of those guys on the back end of the defense. You mentioned Kendall Daniels, Kenyon Williams, Trey Rucker. Some of these other guys are going to have a lot of pressure on them to be replacements on that side of the ball, especially because Oklahoma State was historically good as far as uh, school records and all that stuff. I mean, even nationally, leading the country in sacks, second-best defense by pretty much every match behind Georgia so I think Carson will be looking with a little more of a microscope microscope especially in September to see what the coaching staff is doing with minutes and rotations on that side of the ball to try to find the exact um, the exact rotations and the exact group of guys who work and can get as close of production to what you had last season as possible yeah and we're going to be seeing a lot of new faces on uh, the spring game so that'll be that always makes spring football a little more exciting when there's position battles up for grabs. And, and that's certainly the case uh, for a, a lot of positions on, on defense and offense too. Uh, before we get out of here, Colby, uh, bullets and BBs. What do you got this week? Bullets and BBs. How does the bullet not go to Avery Anderson? I mean, big time stuff, 20 points, hits the game winner right at the end, just a few seconds left in a game that Oklahoma State just – just for your morale, just for your confidence to get back to 500. You don't want to fall two games below 500. Get you to six and eight in conference, which still leaves Oklahoma State an outside chance to finish nine and nine in conference. They'd have to go three and one in these last four. Got two ranked teams, two top 10 teams at home, two unranked teams on the road. So uh, could go either way here from Oklahoma State, but the bullet goes to Avery Anderson for a big time performance on Saturday. That's a good one. I'm going to switch it up to baseball. Oklahoma State baseball took two or three from Vanderbilt, and we all know Vanderbilt is one of the preeminent baseball schools in the country. Uh, Oklahoma State's obviously really good. They're in the top ten, top five, depending on where you look in the rankings. And Colby, it's it's time. It's time Oklahoma State make it to Omaha and 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 make a run. It's been a long time since they've been national title contenders, but I think anytime you take two or three from Vanderbilt, that puts the rest of the country on notice. Yeah, it absolutely does. Oklahoma State pretty much top five everywhere nationally now. And that was a big deal, especially game one. You go out against Vanderbilt's ace, 18 strikeouts for Oklahoma State. I think they had 10 left on base, lose that game three to nothing and get blanked. And then to come back and win the next two, I think Oklahoma State, I think I saw the stat, one of only three teams maybe to win a series at Vanderbilt over the last few seasons. Vanderbilt is just so so good as a program and that's kind of a measuring stick for Oklahoma State a program that has wanted to be at that level but has come up just a hair short for a few years this is a team that has a legitimate chance to win a national championship Carson Uh, I can't wait to get up to Stillwater we've got tickets uh, for a game about three weeks after our daughter is born we got a little uh, orange and black tutu yesterday at the shower that we're going to be able to take her up there and put some big headphones on her when she's just a few weeks old She'll, she'll get her first Oklahoma State experience so I cannot wait to get to Stillwater and watch some baseball that's awesome. That, that'll be a great time. O'Brate's going to be lit this year. I mean, it's going to be, that's going to be the place to be for sure in springtime. And then and right there too, in the softball complex, we all know how great OSU uh, softball is as well too. So that's a lot to look forward to this spring. What do you got for uh, BBs? Uh, Carson, I've kind of been searching for a BB. 
I, I mean, I could go national. I, I'll just go national. We might have the same one. It, it was what I was thinking, and you threw it out earlier. The Michigan-Wisconsin deal was so unnecessary and juvenile from both head coaches. I mean, Jawan Howard acted like a twerp, walking by, ignoring the handshake line. I'll remember this, all this stuff. The whole thing is, Jawan Howard was pressing at the end of the game, down 15 when Wisconsin had backups in. Wisconsin coach calls timeouts to get his guys over and tell them how to beat the press. Jawan Howard's upset because they're up by 15, calling timeouts to strategize late in the game. I mean, if one coach can press down 15, the other coach can call a timeout to tell his guys how to figure it out, up 15. The whole thing was juvenile, and then the other coach kind of grabs Jawan Howard and pulls him in, and then Jawan Howard, everybody said he threw a punch. First off, we need to reserve the term throw a punch for when a punch is actually thrown. He kind of reached over the top and bopped some guy on the head like he was playing whack-a-mole with an open palm. He didn't throw a punch, but the whole thing, Carson, was just so juvenile. Just, I mean, every now and then we see players get into it. You know, these are young kids, a lot of emotion, testosterone stuff going on. You're grown men, you're coaches, you're the role models, you're the one setting the example. I thought it was really weak from both coaches uh, and from both coaching staffs to let that happen. Yeah, that was a good one. And apparently that's the second time that Jawan Howard's led a bench-clearing brawl, essentially. So he he clearly has got issues and probably shouldn't be coaching college kids if that's if that's what he's going to be doing, the kind of example he's going to be setting. So I thought it was pretty weak. I thought the the open-hand push or whatever we want to call that was was equally as weak. So that that's a good one. I'm going to go with anyone who ever claims that the Thunder should fire Sam Presti or that the Thunder should move on from Sam Presti. I love it. I get so when I when I worked at TV, every now and then someone would say, "When are the Thunder going to get rid of Sam Presti?" I'm tired. They haven't won with him. What are they, they need to get somebody. I'm like, and I I wouldn't sugarcoat. It. I would turn and say, "You realize he's." a top three GM in the NBA by a vast that and like the people below him are way down below him. There, there's a huge gap between him and the rest. Right. And they're like, well, what do you mean? He, he, he drafted so-and-so who didn't do anything. I'm like, well, do you want to compare his draft record against literally any other GM in the league? Cause his hit rate percentage is astronomical in comparison. Go look at who the New York Knicks have been drafting over the years in the lottery every single year. They've yet to draft anybody any good at all. The second Sam is in the lottery, he drafts Josh Giddy. He drafts a guy named Kevin Durant, a guy named Russell Westbrook and James Harden. It's easy for them to say now, oh, the, the, anybody could have taken those two. No, 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 no. I was there. I was covering those drafts. Everyone raised eyebrows when they drafted Russell Westbrook. No one thought he was going that high. Everyone thought it was a reach for James Harden at three. And now you get LeBron James calling Sam Presti the MVP of Oklahoma City because LeBron obviously understands basketball and has two eyes. So I, I just get – and look, Sam's not perfect. He didn't get enough return from James Harden. We can all admit those things. But he's by far one of the, if not the best GM in the league. So I think Thunder fans have just – we're still new to this NBA thing. Wait till you got Billy King running your team. You know, some, some of those horrible GMs from years past. Isaiah Thomas. You want Isaiah Thomas running your team? He ran the Knicks into the ground. So I just – I loved hearing LeBron say that because it's like Sam just gets so much crap for the James Harden trade. No one – James Harden's mama didn't know James Harden was going to turn into what he turned into. So I could go on and on, but BB to anyone that thinks Sam Presley doesn't know what he's doing because LeBron obviously can recognize it too. 
Yeah, I'll just say one thing based on a point you made early in your statement there. Uh, Sam Presti is absolutely a top three GM in the NBA, and he's not three, Carson. Oh, I mean, I, I would have put Bob Myers from Golden State right up there with them. And uh, who am I missing? There's an obvious one I'm missing. Uh, obviously, San Antonio's GM's done a, who he learned from, quite frankly. Um, R.C. Buford is his name. So I'd put, I'd put those three up there. I think right now, Sam Presti is the first or second best GM in the league, depending on what your your metric for measuring that is and how you look at it. Um, he's such a good talent evaluator. And, and it's gotten to the point, Carson, where opposing GMs are legitimately, I think, afraid to make trades with him because at, at this point, it's like there has to be something we're not seeing if Sam Presti wants to make this trade because every trade he makes, uh, obviously, we could say aside from the Harden one, but that's a little bit hindsight. I mean, every trade this guy's made since the Harden trade – there's been a clear and obvious winner and it's been Sam Presti. So uh, yeah, I, I think he's one or two, depending on how you look at it. They've almost been funny at the return he gets for guys. He got so much for Cameron Payne, who at the time looked like he was on his way out of the league. He, he resurrected his career in Phoenix. The best trade. Huh? How about Paul George? The Paul George trade is just, it's, it's laughable. The hall. every time someone posts the graphic of, Paul George on one side and all the picks and stuff they got for him. It's comical. But do you know what the best trade he ever made was, Colby? Him. It's one that didn't go through. Oh, yep. Traded Joe Smith and the rights to Devin Harden for Tyson Chandler, <laughs> who went on to win the title with the Mavericks, was an unbelievable center. There, there never would have been a Kendrick Perkins uh, in Oklahoma City if the Tyson Chandler trade goes through. People can talk about the what-ifs with James Harden all they want. If that trade goes through, I think the Thunder win the title because Tyson Chandler could have stayed on the floor against Miami. And so that's that's the best trade that, that never happened. And I literally joke that he – oh, I'm sorry. He traded Chris Wilcox and Joe Smith and the draft rights to Devin Harden. No relation to James. He basically traded a bag of balls, bag of basketballs for – an all-star center. <laughs> yeah. That's it's incredible. Yeah, it is. We're we're way down a thunder rabbit hole here, but Sam Presti is is incredible. Uh, and if you don't appreciate him, I bet you will whenever the new GM gets to town one of these days. Yeah, I rue the day. He's awesome. Uh, Colby, you're awesome. Appreciate your time. Hopefully, Oklahoma State can get a win against Baylor tonight, and we'll catch up with you next week or later Absolutely. this week. Absolutely, everybody, have a great week. Go, folks. <laughs>